Scott, this dessert, it's I made this one for you, and it's your favorite one. And it's like grandma, grandma thought about me. Of everybody here, grandma thought about mm. about me and made and who my. Else would she think about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but just how, especially special. with that attitude. Yeah, yeah. 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 Lord's Supper actually brings us together. It right. unifies yeah. us. The it's rich, the poor, yeah. all these yeah. things. And so it would be absolutely ludicrous for someone in our church to be sitting in one section taking the Lord's Supper. Right. Somebody be sitting in the other section taking the Lord's Supper and them to just be hating each other, yeah. giving evil eyes to each other the whole time. You know, you did this to me or whatever. I can't believe this person's wearing that in here and then mm-hmm. taking the Lord's Supper. You shouldn't take Welcome to Pastors of the Roundtable. It's good to be with you today. Thank you for joining us. Um, as we're sitting around the table today, you might hear the vacuum down below. Our wonderful custodians are down there cleaning uh, this morning here. And so uh, you might hear a little background noise. Uh, just be aware of that. But we're, we're thankful that you're joining us and that you're listening uh, to our conversation here today. Pastors of the Roundtable is the discipleship podcast of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church and is brought to you by Together in Christ, the teaching ministry of MMBC in Monroe, Michigan. Our goal together is to encourage thoughtful discussion about the Christian faith and to connect you to the people and the ministries of MMBC. Spencer, I'll just say you uh, you kind of gave people a hint to where our hideout is now. <laughs> We're going to have to move it. That's true. Yeah. Well. It's like the Batcave, man. You just the gave away the location it's of the, the Batcave. It's the lair. <laughs> it's the lair, yeah. Well. I don't know if was that a really top secret. I don't. I thought it was. I mean, I I swore to secrecy. You were swore to secrecy. Okay. Well. <laughs> well, sitting around the table with me today is, uh, as you already heard, Scott Slater, family pastor here at MMBC. He's got a smile on his face. Matt Bates, uh, music and media pastor here at the church. Tim Michelangeli, lead pastor of MMBC. My name is Spencer Snow, and I'm the discipleship pastor here at uh, MMBC. We've been going through a series on worship in the church, and we're coming towards the end of it. We have talked about public worship and its importance in the life of the Christian and uh, why we do what we do here as a church. We've talked about public reading of Scripture, singing, um, preaching. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about baptism. This week, we want to talk about the other standing ordinance that God has given to His church, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper which we're actually going to be taking this upcoming week, um, this upcoming Sunday morning. So as we come to the Lord's Supper, guys, as we head towards that, um, first of all, let's just talk about right away, uh, why is the Lord's Supper important? Why should we care about it? I think first and foremost, because Jesus yeah. gave it to us. Yep. and. And when he was with his disciples, right, they had the Passover meal, but it didn't end there. He kind of added on at the end, um, which probably was startling. I would, you know, they'd been doing this their whole life, observing Passover and having a celebration and that time together. And and Jesus did something else, you know, with the, he takes the bread, says, this is my body, breaks it for him. They eat of it, takes the cup, the wine, and says, this is my blood, take of it. And But then he says, do this in remembrance of me. And so then when you see in the New Testament, you know, in Acts and in these in the early church, the New Testament church, they were observing Lord's Supper together. I mean, so much so that we see Paul have to deal with it because it was being done wrong in the church of Corinth. So um, it was a regular practice of the church, and it was to be done in remembrance of, of Christ. So it's something that, <clears throat> again, God instituted. It's not, doesn't save us just like baptism. But it's something that God has given us for our good, um, just again, just like baptism for us to do, and it's commanded to, mm-hmm. to do this. So uh, it becomes important for us then, then to do it and to do it regularly. Mm-hmm. So the Lord's Supper is different from like we, we preach and we read the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Now, the word is attached to like baptism and the Lord's Supper. Otherwise, this is just normal water and this is just a cup and a piece of bread. Right. So whenever the word of God is attached to it, why did God, I mean, it becomes an ordinance or some churches use the word sacrament. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Why did God give us ordinances with these elements? Is the word not enough? Why did he give us water and bread and a cup? I mean, he, if you think about the different covenants throughout the Bible, whenever God brings a new covenant, there's usually a new sign of that covenant, of that covenant, uh, that, you know, we look at that we're able to remember the covenant that God has made with mm. us. And so in that sense, uh, the Lord's Supper, I mean, Jesus even says in Mark 14, uh, this is my blood of the covenant. Mm. And so the Lord's Supper is our sign that we remember the new covenant, mm. that when we participate in it, we're reminded of the grace of God and the covenant. That's another reason why it's important to us mm. is because we're supposed to be reminding ourselves and uh, thinking about the covenant that God has made with us mm. through the shed blood of Christ. Mm. So it's it's um an act it's a ceremony of sorts and it it actually is a help to us right it impresses more firmly on our hearts what yeah. the word actually is saying it's really visual you yeah. know and that's very that's very helpful just like you know Jesus would teach sometimes and he would use imagery of what was around him even like the parable of the sower mm-hmm. very visual thing that they could see in the dirt mm-hmm. and weeds are, that's probably around them at that moment as he's talking about that and, mm-hmm. um it's kind of the same for us here now with the with the lord's supper and mm-hmm. with something like baptism it's a it's a visual thing and so for me every time i get to partake of the lord's supper i mean my mind goes to that room and like mm-hmm. they did this and i'm connected mm-hmm. to the family of god all the way back to to Christ of when he would do this with his disciples and visually seeing, you know, that cracker that represents his body, visually seeing, you know, the cup. And normally when we do it, it's red. And it just, you just think about his blood being spilt and it just mm-hmm. ingrains it even more. And like you said, if you don't have the word backing that, then it doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't really mean anything. But having God's word backing that, plus the visual aspect that he mm-hmm. has given us there, really cements it even more. Mm. Um, and for me, one of the things the Lord's Supper does is really unifies me to to my church mm-hmm. family because mm-hmm. it's it's helping cement again in my mind that apart from Christ, we're nothing together. Mm-hmm. I'm just a sinner saved by Christ's broken body and his blood, mm-hmm. and so are you. And right. we're taking that together, affirming that right. together. Right. So it's like it's it's similar again. I always use the wedding ring analogy, but you could go buy a wedding ring. You could go buy a really expensive ring, but all it is is a piece of jewelry. It's different whenever somebody gives that to you and makes a vow mm-hmm. and a promise to you and puts it on your finger. It could be the, the the cheapest thing you've bought from the local pawn shop, but because that ring has been given in in a, with a promise and a vow, a covenant, mm-hmm. it becomes so much bigger, doesn't it? So much more important. And isn't it interesting that God uses ordinary things, water, bread, and a cup. He doesn't take a bunch of fancy things. He uses very ordinary, dull, boring things. He gives us a bath, and then he gives us a meal. Yeah. He washes us, and then he sustains us. That's important, man, because I have seen people substitute the elements. Yeah. I mean seriously, mm-hmm. and I I sound it sounds foolish. It sounds very joking, but I'm not saying in a joking matter. Like, you know, we're gonna eat this Snickers fun yeah. size bar or donuts and coffee. Yeah, and then we're gonna drink a Pepsi yeah. together. Yeah. Right. And this, you know, they're just symbols. So that's just how we're gonna do it. But it it really takes away from the point. Right. You know, it's like oh, I can get more people here if I can get them to eat a Snickers sure, and a Pepsi sure. <laughs> right? yeah. than to eat right. this nasty bread right. and drink this juice. And it's every yeah. child's favorite church. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> right. But we're taking away from what you said, those ordinary means by which God uses mm-hmm. in people's life. And it's wrong for us. It's wrong for us to do that. Now, to be fair, we probably don't use the same bread that they were using the same, drink that they were doing and so but we try to the best of our ability to do those ordinary little cracker little bit of juice because you don't want you don't want the elements to take away mm-hmm. from the meaning right. either right mm-hmm. right and right so but I, i've seen that i have seen that so that's yeah. why i thought it'd be important to to mention right these are it's funny right in a, in a culture where we want visual aids god gave us two divinely appointed right. visual yeah. aids yeah yeah and oftentimes what you see in churches right 
honestly, particularly evangelicalism, mm -hmm. we put aside those two things and we go for a bunch of other visual aids. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> God said, and, and yeah. Jesus Christ already gave us two mm -hmm. uh, with pretty powerful scriptures mm -hmm. to go along with them yeah. um, to remind us of who he is and to uh, imprint his word on And it's sad because I do think visual aids when it comes to teaching God's word can be very helpful. I don't pers personally enjoy them during the sermon as we gather together as the church time. Like I, I don't yeah. try to think through all these visual aids that I can do, but I do in classroom settings, right? you know, and, and things like that. I will try to think of PowerPoints and how can I get this home better? Maybe, you know, whatever it may right. be. Teaching the armor of God and you're bringing in a shield and stuff with the kids. Like, I think that's great. Like, right. I think that is good, <laughs> right. good thing to do, but you're right. It seems like it, that's been, turned into the thing to do right like, this is going to be our strategy so we're going to put that on sunday morning right to make it relevant yeah. and yeah then i think it starts taking away from the from the purpose right when god is like you said he's given us some visual aids mm. that are very clear and plain and understandable to everybody i would think mm. but we're not saying we're against visual aids in all of teaching right right um now the Lord's Supper is basically, and was set, it was instituted in the context of a meal. Mm -hmm. What were meals, why were they important in Jesus's time? How are they important today? And what does that mean for, how does that help us to kind of start grasping what we're doing when we're partaking of the Lord's Supper? What is the significance of a meal? I mean, who you sat down to eat with was very important. I mean, that's why Jesus got criticism for eating with tax collectors and sinners. Um, and so like, you know, in having meals together was a, a strong sign of fellowship mm. with those people and communion with those people. And so, um, that, that was significance there. I mean, even today, I mean, inviting people over to your house for dinner is a very personal thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, you're inviting them into your home. You're mm -hmm. welcoming them for a night into your family. Is what right. I, th I think that's yeah. even true today, yeah. which is why some people don't like doing it. They're very uncomfortable bringing people into their home. Some people mm -hmm. love doing it. They're very open like that. But mm -hmm. um, I think that's some of the significance. Mm. All people yeah. connect through food. All people connect through drink. Yeah. And you can see that used poorly and you can see it used well. But I can think of times, um, I think I was in the Philippines, you know, and we go to this person's house. The pastor wants to take us to a member's home. And you get to the home and it's like... You wouldn't live there, right? right? You're not like, I I would never let my family in here. And they kindly welcome us in. They kindly sit us down. And we're there to minister to them. And the next thing you know, they're bringing out a sandwich mm -hmm. to you to eat. And they want you to eat. And it's because they're wanting to be a blessing to you, right? right? You're trying to bless them. And the connection, we can't talk the same language, right. but a connection is they just brought me a ham sandwich. Mm -hmm. And that's their way of like connecting to me. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to connect to them by... I'm going to take it and I'm going to eat it mm -hmm. and we're going to fellowship together over this, over this sandwich, mm -hmm. you know? And so there, this really is just this common bond, I think. Mm. Um, and it's sacrificial too. Like for them, that was sacrificial for them to give me the fat mm -hmm. American, a ham sandwich. Um, and so I think it's the same even today when we, when we gather and you bring people to your house, it, it does cost you something, mm. right? Your house probably going to get messy mm -hmm your time to prepare food and to get food and do all this stuff. Cleaning up, cleaning the schedule up. that it interrupts. Yeah, yeah just yeah, all of that mm -hmm. stuff. But it's it's kind of saying, yeah, but you're worth it. Yeah. You're yeah, right. worth this to me. Right. Yeah. Right? And, right. And I want you to come, yeah. even though it costs. Yeah. So, I mean, there's that significance to the meal. I mean, there is also significance to the specific meal that Jesus was eating with his disciples. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, right after they did mm -hmm. this. And I'm, I don't know if we're going to talk about that or not, but... But yeah, I mean, there's that significance as well. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, throughout the Bible, you see like, um, you remember, uh, is it when Abraham, remember in Genesis 18, is it 18, whenever the, the men show up, what does Abraham do right away? He goes to prepare a meal for them, mm -hmm. yeah, right? Yeah. Um, that's what uh, happens eventually in, in Exodus, um, which we're, we're going to get to in Exodus 24, which is actually kind of, paralleled from the Old Testament whenever we read that after they make the covenant with God at Sinai, 
some of the leaders of Israel go up and they eat in the presence of God. Mm-hmm. They eat a meal. Mm-hmm. And um, the idea of, of, of a meal has the idea of shared communion, of, of bond, developing a bond together. Um, you we, you we, don't eat with your enemies. Right, right. You know? It's like right. you're welcoming them in. You're mm-hmm. saying, like, I, we right. are friends. That's Except right. For Christ, too. Right. Who would eat with the sinners, yeah. Right. No, you're right. And the, the, and the other thing is, mm-hmm. I, I don't think we've said this yet, but you have to have food to live. Yeah. And you have to have drink no. to live, right? <laughs> we could go without for a while, some of, some of us for sure. <laughs> but you have to have those things. That then, though, carries over to the Lord's Supper when we're doing what we're doing. Right. We should recognize that there's a reason it's food. There's a reason we're taking in his body. We must have this. Right. In order to live, we need Christ's body. We need nourishment. We must need his, we need his blood. Right. We have to have it to right. live. Right. And uh, sometimes I think that gets pushed mm-hmm. aside when we yeah. take the Lord's Supper. We don't think about that aspect. But again, I think that's why he used food and drink. Right. So elemental. Or, you know, yeah. so we need those. Right, right. I mean, and if you just stop and you think about the elements, it actually conveys quite a quite an amazing meaning all itself. But we were just to sit there and just think about the the things sitting right before us. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we think about the Lord's Supper, we'll get into some issues that um, will further define where where we think the Bible goes on on the Lord's table. But I want to go into the institution, the, the the first place that Jesus starts the Lord's table and founds it. And I, we can use, it's found in Mark chapter 14, Matthew 26, Luke 22, and it's also mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So I got a question. Maybe you guys know this answer. I In my studying, I had found that the first time the Lord's Supper was actually written was the Corinthians mm-hmm. account, was Paul's account. And that's why Paul would say, no one taught me this. This actually came from the from the Lord. The Lord had given me this because he wasn't in the room. So he's in chronologically. Chronologically. When they were, yeah, when chronologically. The that Corinthians was probably written before right. the Matthew, Mark, and Luke yeah. there. Right. And so that's actually the first. I always thought that was interesting. Yeah. We didn't get it from someone in the room first. Right. <laughs> we, right. we got it from someone who wasn't in the room. Well, and isn't it, it highlights, too, the, the fact that this was universal practice. How yeah, high, right. That's also, I mean, leading eventually to 1 Corinthians 15. That's why that passage is so important, mm-hmm. because Paul's writing an early letter mm-hmm. to the church at Corinth, and he says, this is the gospel message that I got. And so it shows Jesus died, Jesus rose, Jesus was seen, and... That was the gospel fairly right. early on. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, that's why that's, Sorry, I didn't mean to no, that's really good. So as we think about, like, for instance, I'm looking at Mark chapter 14 verses, uh, 22 to, to 25. Where are we at when Jesus is instituting the Lord's Supper? Where are we at in Jesus's life and where are we at in Jesus's ministry? This is the night before Jesus is crucified. It's, it's the night that he's betrayed by Judas. And so they're celebrating the Passover together. And what was the Passover? It was a meal. (laughs) Well, I mean, it was a meal that they celebrated (laughs) for uh, being delivered from from Egypt Mm -hmm. and from Pharaoh. And it Mm -hmm. harkened back to the angel of death, the last plague that would um, be put on the land of Egypt. And Mm. God gave Moses specific commands to... Really to everybody, the Israelites, and it was extended to mm-hmm. the Egyptians as well. Of mm-hmm. If you will take a lamb and sacrifice it and take its blood and take right. a hyssop branch and right. put that blood over the doorposts, mm-hmm. I will see that, and you will not face this judgment. And it's a picture of salvation by mm-hmm. the blood of the lamb. That's right. And then they would take that lamb and they would, they would eat it, and God yeah. had established for them, you know, other things within the dinner that they would that they would do, and so that's what Jesus was doing here with his disciples. Mm-hmm. They were observing uh, Passover together, and it's just so interesting as you study it more. But you have the Lamb mm-hmm. eating the Passover Lamb, knowing he's about to be crucified mm-hmm. and take its place. That will never need to be eaten again. Yeah. Isn't it interesting though? Like you, you talk about eating the Passover. And there is some discussion about whether or not this was the Passover meal. Like there's the chronological people. Right. People yeah. have questions yep. about that, whatever. But it is interesting how if this is the Passover meal that he's eating, the lamb I don't think is ever mentioned. You don't, yeah, you don't <laughs> yeah. see it. I mean, it's like that. we're not talking about that lamb. <laughs> we're not going to focus on that lamb right now. Um, 
Another thing, and we've just come from Independence Day. This was really their Independence Day. Mm -hmm. This is Israel's National Independence Day. And Jesus is going about ready to establish a new Independence Day for his people, a new day of freedom from bondage, from the ultimate, Mm -hmm. ultimate bondage. So Jesus is culminating these this is the day before he dies, Thursday. He's going to die on Friday. And um, who is at the table, uh, sitting around this table? His friends. I mean, the 12, his, his disciples, even the traitor, mm. is sitting there um, during, the, during the meal, during the dinner. So Jesus is the host. Mm-hmm. Now, what is a host's job? We've talked a little bit about that, but what's the host? I mean, what do they do? They kind of lead the meal? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to say I, Jesus probably cooked the meal and did I right. don't, I don't know that. It doesn't, right. doesn't say that. He actually sent some disciples ahead to prepare right. the meal, right? right? To go and get it right. ready. <clears throat> but yeah, he would have been, you know, at Thanksgiving, right. you got grandpa or dad at cutting the head the of the table, cutting the turkey and right. leading the charge. And sure. Jesus really led because there was more that happened probably that night, yeah. you know, with, with, and Christ led all that. And so the guest, as he sits around and he looks at these guys sitting around the table, what kind of men are these? Are these super saints, or what? I mean, what are who are we looking at here? As he sees Peter and James and John and fisherman, tax collector, right? A zealot, a former zealot. Yeah. Um, kind of how I said <laughs> in the sermon yesterday. I kind of called them all dumb, and I know it was kind of harsh. I didn't, <laughs> but you know, you just. They just seem to not get it so often when we look and like, how can you not get it? Even though we struggle with the same right. same things, but they they don't seem to be like the most educated men. Mm. They're ordinary folk, mm. ordinary people who who Christ specifically chose to be His twelve. So they're sinners, yeah, sitting at the table mm. with a sinless host hosting them. <laughs> And yet, at this meal, like, and this kind of just sets the context, Jesus is the host, but he also takes the form of a servant mm-hmm. and washes their feet. Mm-hmm. Um, so we could imagine, this is God in human flesh, stooping down to wash their feet, clean them up, and this would have been shocking to these disciples. They're, they're sinners, and Peter says, right, you won't wash my feet, Um and so they're they're doing this this meal. They're sitting. God God in human flesh is sitting with sinners at this table. And while they're eating, Jesus, we read in verse twenty two of Mark, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them, and said, "Take, eat. This is my body." So bread is a very ordinary thing. Oftentimes it can be used as a word to just kind of describe any kind of food, right? We think about bread and drink and that kind of can almost be a, it's such a common form of food that it can really stand for any kind of food. But here Jesus specifically taking a form of bread, taking bread, he takes it and he breaks it and he gives it to them. And he does something really shocking. He says, take this, receive this, this bread is my body. What does Jesus mean when he says, this is my body? What is he saying? I mean, something really crazy happens in the Lord's Supper that Jesus actually literally turns that bread into his body. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, this is, I don't, well, I, I don't What's think... What's that called? <laughs> <laughs> huh? What's Transubstantiation. That called? <laughs> that's, that's a great it's word. There. It's this in is, the Bible. Uh, that's a great word. This is, uh, yeah... Uh, this isn't EWTN, right? That's the, that's the, that's <laughs> yeah. the, that's the right. This, yeah, no, but that's that's one interpretation that's been given. I mean, there's a funny story, right? Um, where at the Reformation time, whenever Luther and another reformer, Zwingli, were trying to get together on the Reformation, they could agree on everything else except for what this meant. This is my body, and Luther wrote on a table, supposedly, the, in Latin, what this is. This is my body. Hoc est corpus meum. And I, what I've heard <laughs> is that you just pulled that out of nowhere. That's good. Man. It's, it's, it was somewhere up there. And so oh, supposedly, I think whenever they would disagree, because Luther would take this more literally, not in a transubstantiation Roman Catholic sense, but still believing that Christ's literal body is in, with, and under the bread. 
And he would pull this cape off or this tablecloth off and say, what does it say? This is my body. So but it's just kind of a humorous thing, though, to show. But this has been a very um, divisive, um, contested passage about what does it mean? What does the word is mean? Mm-hmm. Is Jesus literally saying this bread has now been transformed into my body and my blood? Well, Jesus is sitting there in his body and his right, blood. Right. So... I don't, would the disciples have thought that Jesus is saying, this is literally my body? Or is there some other kind of speech going on? Is this figurative? Right. Is this symbolic? Which is what we would say. Right. That we, we believe it's figurative. That yes. He's, he's pointing forward to what's about to happen to his body, to literally be broken. Yeah. I mean, slashed to the point of death and then forced to carry a cross and then crucified. Right. And really just beaten beyond recognition. Hmm. Uh, and that that was the you know again foretelling the wrath of God being poured out mm. on him. He's taking it. My body is going to be broken mm. for you, but you must receive it, right? Mm-hmm. As, as you just said, I'm going to give it to you, but you must receive it. You must you must eat of it. You must mm. take of it. And so, as they, the only Lord's Supper, looking forward, mm-hmm. we look back when we when we receive that bread. Mm. That's what we should be thinking of: is mm. Christ's body broken for us and necessary for sin to be conquered in my life. Mm-hmm. Punishment had to take place and his body took that punishment. Mm-hmm. And now I must I must take of it. I must eat of it. Just like Jesus mm-hmm. would said, if you don't eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, right. you are not mine. You right. are not of me. We are doing that in that instance. Right. We are taking that um and and living that out in that moment. So so Jesus at the supper, the original one, and I think as we continue to look through the whole the rest of church history, spiritually speaking, Jesus is hosting this supper. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is looking at them and says, here's this bread. Jesus breaks it. Jesus blesses it and says, now you take and you eat of it. This is my body. What is the? What does that do to us whenever Jesus says, take and eat? Um, it's really simple, isn't it? I mean, all we're doing is taking what he is and receiving it into us. We're being nourished on him. And and that sound, that's what faith is, though, isn't it? Jesus would say in John 6, you um, describe faith as drinking the blood and eating the body of him. And, of course, he's talking by faith. We receive and we, we are nourished on him. So he's using spiritual language here, but with a very powerful, real presence spiritual reality here. So it's not that the bread is turning into the body, but at the same time, Christ is promising all that he is Mm -hmm. to us in this supper. He's taking the ring again and putting it on our finger. He's breaking Mm -hmm. the bread and and giving it to us and saying, take and eat. Isn't it a great feeling when you go somewhere and maybe even unexpectedly, they've prepared for you a meal and it's like exactly what you needed, exactly what you wanted. And it's just... It's a great feeling, isn't it? Like of caring. They cared about me. Right. Or like maybe you've gone to your grandparents' house, you know, and you knew you were going to have food, but they, grandma's like, Scott, this dessert, it's, I made this one for you. And it's your favorite one. And it's like, grandma, grandma thought about me of everybody here. Grandma thought about, Mm. about me and made my, what else would she think about? (laughs) 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 Just how, especially with that attitude. Yeah. 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 But just how special you feel. And uh, we get that when we do the Lord's Supper, right? It's Christ giving mm-hmm. us here. Mm-hmm. This is for you. It's my body. I mean, this is what you need. Mm-hmm. And it's fully sufficient, right? Right. What more could he give? Yeah. He doesn't say, I'm going to give you a few miracles. Right. Or I'm going to give you a few of these things. I'm giving me mm-hmm. all that I am, all that I have. I give to you a beautiful image uh, Luther will use in his book, The Freedom of a Christian Man, which is a very influential book at the time. And he describes our relationship to Christ as if we are prostitutes, but we marry him and he takes all of our sin and we get all of his righteousness. We get all the good that comes from him and he takes and bears away all of our sin. Mm -hmm. And here is our husband, so to speak, spiritually speaking, Jesus Christ. That's pictured with... uh... Yeah. Haggai, right? Yeah. In them. 
Hosea. Hosea. Yeah. Hosea. Yeah. 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 And Gomer. Homer. Homer. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what I was trying to think of. Homer. Yeah. Hosea and Homer. Yeah. Right. We have that imagery too. Right. And and the marriage supper of the Lamb. Mm-hmm. Right. We're mm-hmm. we're the bride of Christ, and that means He's going to give Himself completely to us and for us. Mm-hmm. So He does that. He takes the bread. They weren't expecting that, by the way. This is not normal talk. If mm-hmm. if Tim gets up and says, <laughs> "Everyone, take this cup and eat this. This is my body." Right, everyone's gonna be like, "What? This is kind of weird." But <laughs> yeah. right, how can how can Tim give his body for everybody? You should leave, right? <laughs> I mean, right? But Jesus does it because spiritually speaking, by faith, by trusting His promise, we do get all of Him. And so then, secondly, then in verse twenty-three, He takes the cup, and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And He said to them, "This is My blood." of the new covenant, or of the covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. What does Jesus mean when he says that this cup is the blood of the covenant? What is a covenant, and and why are we talking about covenants now in the Lord's Supper? I mean, a covenant is... um kind of like a, a legal agreement in the ancient sense. Like it's, or even nowadays, like we kind of view marriage, like marriage might be the closest thing that we have mm-hmm. uh, to a covenant mm-hmm. um, between two people. Uh, but in that sense, historically, it's been like a legal mm. agreement or a contract mm. that's made. And there's usually a sign that goes along with that. I kind of already mm-hmm. mentioned that, that there's, there's something to remember that by. Um, and uh, actually it means studying covenants in the ancient Near East and like how those would be made between kings and their people and all. That's actually really interesting and really cool to see. There's a lot of even modern day symbolism that you won't know is actually goes back to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but so what Jesus is meaning that this is the blood of the new mm. covenant, like that's that's kind of what he's talking about in a sense. This is the sign mm. of the covenant. This is what the supper is, but specifically the blood, his blood mm. being spilled is um is is part of what makes that covenant happen mm-hmm. uh, reconciling us to God. So in the ancient Near East covenants were not simply made, they were cut. Yeah. You would cut a covenant. Mm. And so you think about um this is why you talked about the ceremonies. This is why it's it's helpful to study those things because when we read like Genesis 15 God comes to Abraham, makes a covenant promise to him, but then Abraham goes and starts cutting a bunch of animals in half mm-hmm. and putting them on opposite sides with a pathway in between. Yep. And it looks really weird to our day and age, and I'm thankful yeah, smoking that... Smoking pot. Yeah. Why is he doing this? And he's, Abraham, old Abraham's out there chasing away the birds. And I, my understanding is, is that... Um, in a lot of other covenants, Abraham would have had to go through that middle. Mm-hmm. But what mm-hmm. God is doing there is he puts Abraham to, excuse me, Abram at the time mm-hmm. to sleep and God goes through the covenant pieces. And God is saying there, the, the idea was, is if, if this covenant is not kept, may I become like those animals mm-hmm. split in two. And God is going through the pieces mm-hmm. to say, Abraham, Abram, this covenant is not dependent on you. I will do it all. Mm-hmm. It's like an, it's like a will. Mm-hmm. We we go and we get a will and we get all the gifts. We get an inheritance, and I'm going to give you an inheritance, Abram. And that's that's uh, what what happens is is we have covenants that are cut. Eventually, we see in Exodus uh, 24, which is where this blood of the covenant language is stolen from. It seems like to a large de- degree, we've already mentioned it that this is where God takes the covenant blood. And he takes the blood of the covenant. Israel says, "We're gonna, we'll keep the covenant." He takes the blood. Moses does, sprinkles it on the people, and then, in the beginning of verse eight, Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, "This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you, according to all these words, which the people had said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient." But now the blood of the covenant is given to us, and we don't have to do anything. We simply receive all the gifts because Jesus does everything for us. And eventually what happens is in verse nine, then Moses went up also Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. 
And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel he did not lay his hand. So they saw God, and they ate and drank. What seems to be happening here is, is God is giving them the blood of the covenant. The lamb here is taking the blood and giving himself to his disciples. And it's through the Lord's Supper that by faith we see God in all of his beauty and the way that God wants to show us himself is primarily through the cross and through his death and through his crucifixion and through his resurrection, through his grace. It's through this means that we, in a sense, whenever we are taking the Lord's table, we are in the presence of God in a special way. We're always in the presence of God in an omnipresent sense, but as his covenant people, when that bread is broke and the cup is passed, there's a special sense through that symbolic element that the that Jesus Christ is present. He's there. He's giving us himself, and uh, and we're seeing God through these elements in a sense. There's a word in the Old Testament that we've went over a few times, hesed, Mm. Um, H-E-S-S-E-D or C-H. Sometimes is how it will how we'll start. Um, but it's all throughout the Old Testament, and it's in Psalms a lot. And it's a word that's really hard to translate, actually. The closest word you would have to it in the New Testament is agape love, but even that doesn't fully get what the hesed love of God is. And it's it's God's covenantal love for his people the the love that is sealed with his covenant right and it's a love i think that's being pictured here with the Mm -hmm. with the blood Mm -hmm. is i'm making a new a new covenant and it's being sealed with my blood and it's this it's this hesed love uh covenant that we're Mm -hmm. that we're getting here and that's an important word i think for us to know because again you see it all all in the old testament translated as mercy or like steadfast love sometimes uh, but it's a very it's a very good word to understand to help bridge the Old Testament and the New Testament for you to see the the mm-hmm. connection mm-hmm. there that's taking place because it because it has that covenantal aspect mm-hmm. to it mm-hmm. and it's again it's a God thing for us it's not We've met all the standards, so now the covenant is met, and so he's going to love us. No, it's, right. it's the exact opposite. It's He has made a covenant with us. He has done everything, and his love is right. on us, and it's, seal, it's sealed through right. through Christ. So, Tim, are you saying, like, is an implication of that that God loves some people more or differently than others? Well, I mean, you have this love that God has for creation, right? You have this common love that you would see as him, as him being creator. Um, that you can't deny. You see people who aren't his children being blessed, right? I mean, you you see that in the world. You just can't deny that common grace. Yeah. So you have this, yeah, this sense of common grace that God gives to all people. But yes, yeah, so above that, the Bible speaks pretty a lot, a lot about is this this special love that He has for His people who are in covenant with Him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that include, I mean, that's those who are saved by His grace. And so, yeah, there's, there's that there that that fatherly love that we get, and we have the privilege as His children to cry out, "Abba, Father." And it's because of yes, that love that He has for us. That's a special love. Yeah. I mean, it's another kind of covenantal love. I mean, we've already mentioned it. Like marriage mm-hmm. is a, such a great example of a covenant because we hear like we love everybody that's a part of our church, you know, and even more than that. Right. But like, there's, there's almost different circles mm-hmm. of love that we have. Like we love all people mm. we love, but I love everybody that's part of this church differently than I love everybody that's part of the town of Monroe. Mm. I love my family differently than I love even people that are in this church. I love my closest friends differently, but there's one kind of special love that I have only for one person. And that's my wife. That's like a kind of covenantal love that mm-hmm. I have of commitment and devotion mm-hmm. to her that I share with nobody, mm-hmm. you know. And so there, there's these different spheres of love that, mm-hmm. that are different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it highlights again the fact that um, it's it, this. 
God's love is a steady, unswerving loyalty and devotion to our good. Mm. And he'll do it even though it costs him his son. And, and of course, we have to, now, on the other end, right, what, what is our part in the supper? And it's, it's our part in the gospel, which is to receive. Right. If you don't by faith receive this offered grace, it's of no good to you. Mm-hmm. If you don't take and eat, spiritually speaking, him by faith, mm-hmm. he is no good to you because you don't want him. And, you... and there's some who believe differently than that, right? They right. believe, we would call them universalists, that right. they believe God's love is so vast and so great that everyone will be forgiven through right. Christ, right? Christ is that powerful, and they would use that language. His, his blood is so powerful, so effective. It's going to save everybody. And so, <clears throat> like there's a book, that Love Wins in the End. It's got God's love will win in the end. But that's not what we see in Scripture. I mean, it's very clear. There's a judgment day. There will be right. a separation. Mm-hmm. And the separation is based on this covenant here, on the blood. Mm-hmm. Have you received it or have you not received it? Right. Is your name written in this book? And the way you get written in the book is by receiving the blood. And so that clearly is not scriptural. Right. Right. That's us con- trying to conform God to right. us right. or what we would like to right. see. Mm-hmm. But that's not how it functions. Sure. You're, a- you're absolutely right, Spencer. There's a reception right. that has to right and it's 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 good because this is all gift yeah this is all gift that's what paul describes it as in romans 3 and 4 he says this is a gift god put forward jesus christ to be the propitiation for our sins to be received freely as a gift so god gives jesus we by faith receive him that's the gospel and um and it's all gift but we do have to trust and receive him and rest upon him as he is offered to us in the gospel if god never offered us jesus we could never believe in him mm-hmm. because we would there would be no present to get right. but god does offer him and give him to to all those who want him and take him by faith alone and um and such so he he mentions here real quick that he's pointing forward to the kingdom of god he says i won't do this until uh, i won't drink um, of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink of it new in the kingdom of God. What does he mean by that? Why is he pointing us forward to the future? Well, I mean, I think, I think Jesus was doing a lot. I mean, looking to where we are today, looking back 2,000 some years, right? Jesus was really establishing something here for the long haul. It wasn't like just an immediate response thing. It was really a, a long haul thing. And so I think a lot of times he was pointing the disciples forward in the way that he would talk often, you know, of I won't be with you forever, but one will come. We talked about the Holy Spirit. Like he had this language quite a bit. He would talk to them and he's doing the same here because in a moment he'll be gone. He'll be gone from them. Mm-hmm. Right. And he's kind of telling them that. I'm going, so please know that. But it's not over. Right. Right? It's not over. And so you could see in a sense of like, once I win this battle here, I'll eat with you again. And we see him eat with them again, actually, after he comes back. He he has breakfast. He makes them breakfast. It's a fish fry. Yeah, he makes them breakfast on the shore. And uh, But I would tend to think that this is pointing to we'll sup with him again as a family yeah in glory mm-hmm. where we don't have these distractions mm-hmm. of sin yeah struggles he's king right he's on the throne and now we're being hosted by the king mm-hmm. who will eat with us again and uh mm-hmm. and so we look forward to that day and that promise when we partake of the lord's supper there's a sense of looking back and remembering mm-hmm. there's a sense of the now of what mm-hmm. is happening now but then there's mm-hmm. this sense of the future of when mm-hmm. he has promised we will eat with him again mm-hmm. and we look forward to right. that. I like what you you brought up there something interesting and that is that the Lord's Supper looks back present and future. One of the things that can 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 we focus on one of those elements more than another mm-hmm. in our services today because I uh, like one yes. of the things I notice that we focus on the past and the future. Right. But I don't I mm-hmm. think very little do we focus on the present. I would agree wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. We, it's easy for us to look back and to think, oh, yeah, he died for me. Right. He bled. Like, we can think of all that stuff. We think of the movies in our head of yeah. Jesus dying. And it's easy for us to, 
this is a bad word maybe, but to fantasize about yeah. heaven right. and look forward to heaven. But, and I think this is reflected in the attendance of Lord's Supper services. Mm. There's nothing going on now. Right. And so there's this aspect of why do I need to take this bread and drink this cup if I'm just thinking about the past and looking to the future? I don't need this right. to do that. Right. And it shows that a lot of people, I think, feel mm. there's nothing in this for me now. Mm. You know, because we do Lord's Supper a lot on Sunday evenings, and sadly, it's very weakly attended. Mm. Like people don't really come, and there's almost this aspect of what's the big deal, right? About it. Why do you think? What, in your opinion, why do people think that? What's the big deal? I think because they don't think there's anything to it now in this moment. There's nothing happening. There's nothing here. happening here. We're just thinking back and we're looking forward. Right. I don't need to come here to do that. Right. There's nothing special happening here, but right. there, there is something special happening in the, in the now. Yeah. And it gets lost and it's not talked about probably enough. Um, I think another aspect of it too is not, <clears throat> it's not just that they don't think about what's happening here and now. It's that they don't actually really understand the symbolism, the history. Like I mean, we've mm -hmm. talked about a lot of things. Like we've talked about mm -hmm. the Passover. We've talked about covenants. Mm -hmm. We've talked about history. There's a lot mm -hmm. that is behind this very simple meal. Mm -hmm that Jesus instituted here mm. to the church. And I think a lot of it is that people don't actually know right. all of that. What's behind this. Right. Like we, we can, we were talking about this a little bit earlier. It's like, we can make this about remembering something that Jesus did just very on a very simple way. But there's, there's a lot to right. this. And I think if, if people actually dove into right. understand and study, like really everything that's going on here, mm -hmm. it makes it a lot more glorious and a lot more meaningful. Mm hmm. Uh, when you're participating in it. Mm. It's not a flippant thing. Right, right. I mean, and, and we do it together. We talked about, we wanted to highlight that right away. You you can't do the Lord's Supper just you at your house by yourself. Mm. Why is that? Because it's, because it's done together, right? right. Got, when, we, when the Lord instituted it, he instituted it together. And he told them, when you gather together to eat of this, Right. Do so in remembrance of me. Um, and so that's why, you know, as a church, we don't we don't go door to door to our members and partake in Lord's Supper or give them communion because mm. it's it's not how it is to be done. It's not how the Lord has prescribed for it to mm -hmm. be to be done. And, and you see other denominations right. doing that during this covid stuff. Right. This this door to door communion. But there needs to be an understanding of why that denomination is doing that and what they believe is happening in the Lord's Supper. You know, like with the Catholic Church, you're talking salvation on the line. Mm -hmm. And so they are going door to door, giving you salvation right. through right. this cup. Mm -hmm. And it, so their interpretation of that is different than ours of what it means and what's there. Not to minimize it. We're not trying to minimize it, but it's to be done. It's to be done together. And so... Yeah. That's why we do it as a as a church body and not, you know, that's the youth aren't going to do it at a road tour right. or, the, or a Sunday school class, do it together in right. Sunday school class. No, it's when we gather together as church. church. And so for us, it would be Sunday mornings, Sunday nights. And there have been times on very rare special occasions, like I can think of like a Thanksgiving service that we did special at like uh, a hall where we ate together where we said, and let everybody know ahead of time, we will take Lord's Supper together there as well, mm -hmm. just so you know. But it was a time for the whole church to come together. Mm -hmm. We weren't segmented off in parts. Um, so that is very important. Right. And a lot of ways, too, this is a family meal, mm -hmm. right? It's not like, um, that's why we. It's, this is meant to be a communal shared meal. And so you really destroy the whole, uh, much of the symbolism whenever it's just you or you and your family at home. Um God has instituted this as a, a church ordinance, um, and none of us on our own has the authority to go do this on our own. Jesus gave this to the church as the church. Yeah. So we've got to be together to, to do that. Another question, is Jesus still present with us when we take the Lord's Supper? We know he was back there then. We know he's going to be with us in the future. 
Is Jesus here with us when we eat the Lord's Supper here as a church right now? I would say that, um, yes, the same way he's with us when we read his word mm-hmm. and meditate on the meditate on the word and that he fills us with his word and speaks his word to us. So in that same sense, yes, um, absolutely. Just like we would pray the same thing on a Sunday morning service, <clears throat> I believe, you know, we pray that the Holy Spirit be evident in this place. And we're not praying for like something supernatural. I would say the Holy Spirit is with us though always as believers. And so we're not, you know, not in a sense saying, well, yeah, this Sunday the Holy Spirit wasn't here. I would say, well, I don't think that's true. If we're believers, he's right. he, right. here mm-hmm. with us. And well, same, I would speak the same of, of Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, he's here, here with us. But right. um, yeah, the way, the way, the same way that Christ would use his word mm-hmm. in our hearts. Right. Christ is here with us using this supper right. to speak to our hearts, to help us grow, to mold us and make us into his image. To spiritually feed us. Yeah, to spiritually feed us. Absolutely. Well, and one of the things, though, I think that this this highlights, too, is Christ is present here because if if not, then why were people dying in Corinth? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a potent... I mean, we don't want to go crazy uh, superstitious. No. On the other hand, we want to highlight the fact that in Corinth, people were dying and becoming sick. Because they were taking the Lord's Supper wrongly. Wrong, yeah. They were disobeying. And that was, so that was big enough for God to execute judgment because of the way they were abusing the meal. Mm-hmm. So this is a potent meal, not because Jesus' body, again, right? I always have to reiterate this, but not because Jesus' body is, is, is carnally present in the bread. But at the same time, he's the host. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's host. And by that, I have to make sure Catholic friends don't think we're saying he's in the host he is hosting the meal right um he's he's sitting at the head of the table and through the pastor whenever he reads the words jesus is using the pastor to bring the scripture to us and shepherding us by the power of the spirit so we also want to while not being superstitious we also don't want to underplay the the supernatural reality that this is we do need to be careful here this is we're not we are playing with I say we're playing we're dealing with spiritual things here and that's that's uh it's a very powerful reality that we need to be aware of as we approach the table of the lord so i think well. some people might avoid the lord's supper because of what you just said right out of fear that they're not worthy that they're not able right that they're going to die that they're going to get sick <laughs> so that begs the question then how do we how do we approach right. the Lord's Supper table together? Because here's just the fact. We're all sinners. And so we're all approaching this table as sinners. Yeah. And so really, we could all abstain every time. Like, I am not worthy today. I am not worthy. But we're never going to then be worthy. So right. how do we practically come to the table? Advice you guys would give maybe to uh, people struggling with that or even yourself. Um, what do you guys think? What does it mean to discern mm-hmm. the body? I mean, I think number one, because of that, like what you're referencing there in First Corinthians, I think that makes the Lord's Supper a very natural time to be uh, introspective and reflect. Is there unrepentant sin in your life? Um, what you said, I think, is wise that like y- there's a difference between, I think, living in unrepentant, unconfessed sin and simply recognizing that you continue to sin Mm. even as a believer. Like those are different things. Mm. Um, One is where you are trying to fight against it and to rid yourself of it. The other one is where you're not doing anything. And, um, and I think like it is a natural time to examine yourself. And I think you, you know, like when we, when we give it here, like I hope that we do that, that we Mm. encourage members to examine themselves Mm -hmm. Uh, right now that this is what you're this is what you need to do mm-hmm. but at the same time we when we take it it is with the sober understanding of i don't really deserve this mm. right now right um but that's part of the mm. that's part of what you're supposed to get out of taking it is yeah. that you don't deserve this meal right. um it's a reminder of christ's sacrifice right. Right. for you those are really the people that should be 
yeah. most of them coming to the table, yeah. right? If you're really worried about it, well, oftentimes that could be a, a helpful sign to know that this is for yeah. you should be coming because yeah, exactly. that's what this is for. Exactly. Yeah. So like to the person who would be hesitant every single time because they know that they sinned this past week or, you know, they really hope that they'd be able to take it this time because they'd been, they thought they'd be doing better by now, but now they're not, they're still struggling. Mm-hmm. You're, you're exactly right. The fact that like that is troubling you, that's a sign that you probably should be taking this. Yeah. You know, um, you have these personal sins, I think, that we're talking about here, but there's also these sins against each other hmm. that I think is being addressed. Because in the Church of Corinth, that was the sin. They were sinning against each other. Yeah. And that was a problem because the Lord's Supper actually brings us together. It right. unifies yeah. us, the it's rich, the poor, they, all these yeah. things. And so it would be absolutely ludicrous for someone in our church to be sitting in one section taking the Lord's Supper. Right. Somebody be sitting in the other section taking the Lord's Supper and them to just be hating each other, yep. mm. giving evil eyes to each other the whole time. You know, you did this to me or whatever. Right. I can't believe this person's wearing that in here and then mm. taking the Lord's Supper. Mm. You shouldn't take. Yeah. Then I mean, you shouldn't be taking because that's. We are saying we are nothing apart from God's grace as we partake of this. Mm. And now you're adding to it is mm. what you're doing. You're yeah. adding to this gospel. In a way, and it—that's one of the things that I think needs to be done. Probably more. Mm. We deal with our own sin, and we're—I think sometimes we're pretty faithful to that of trying to do with that. But we do hold these things against our brothers and sisters, mm. and we're just not willing to let them go. And I would say, if you're not willing to let it go, then you shouldn't shouldn't take this. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, you, some have talked about like with the the sign that the Lord's Supper is to outsiders that might be visiting or non-believers that are in the service, that this is this is a sign of the gospel. This is the gospel visible for you to see and observe. And just think about what they are seeing when they hear us talk about and say that this is a meal of our fellowship as a body mm. around our Savior Christ, mm-hmm. being nourished by him. This is a this is us gathered together in fellowship, in union with one another in Christ, and then the very same day, mm. they go home with you, and if they hear you backbiting and gossiping about people you go to church with and talking mm. about how this person annoys you so much and this person has done this to you and you're still bitter about mm. this, what kind of symbol are you showing them then? Mm. You, you know, you're defaming the gospel. You're defacing the gospel in that sense because you've just done this act. Mm-hmm. That's meant to show them the gospel of your unity together yeah. in Christ, and at the very same time, you're you're doing it in an unworthy manner because you're, there are divisions <laughs> among you. You just described a Christian Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, I'm so sick of that with our faith of just brothers and sisters going at each other's throats from miles and miles and miles apart, you know, and. We say that we stand in Christ together and we're saved by his grace. I'm not saying we should never call out other Christians for false things or anything. I do think that we should do that. But, um, man, we've gotten to the point, it seems, in that social media realm Mm. where we just kill each other. And the outside world just has to think we're a joke, honestly, if that's what they they see of us. you're exactly right, Scott. They just think, what a joke. That doesn't really mean anything. Look at you guys. And and if not a joke, they at least think that, well, they're just the same as I am. Absolutely. Right. My family acts the same way mm-hmm. as that. Right. They're, these people are just a little more superstitious. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But thankfully, we are brought together by the blood and yeah. the body. Yeah. And, uh, and hopefully we recognize that we're not perfect. We, mm-hmm. we, we fought, we fail, um, most definitely. Uh, but it's not on mm-hmm. us. It's yeah. by his righteousness and by his grace that we're saved. There's so much more that we could talk about with this, this, but I, I think our time's about up, but, yeah. um, we didn't necessarily go into who partakes of the Lord's supper, um, right. in specifics. We should do a lightning round. We haven't, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Just- Quick fire questions. There's so many other aspects getting into the book of Hebrews and what Christ has done with his sacrifice and how we are observing that when we do the Lord's Supper and the depth of it and the meanings there. There's a lot. I'd like to close real quick before I close with a illustration. 
that I heard from Sinclair Ferguson <laughs> from a sermon that he spoke at Basics, and it has never left my mind. Please, and I love it. Yeah, he was say talking it about how he would say it. I, no, <laughs> I, I, don't oh, do that. You'll please ruin do it. it. You'll please ruin do it. it. <laughs> no. Um, so he was talking about a, an old uh, guy who was named John Rabbi Rabbi John Duncan, who was a Scottish guy minister and I think professor, probably in like the 1800s or so. Well, they were having Lord's Supper that day. And uh, he said they were uh, taking the cup around, right, passing it around. And he noticed there was this, as the cup came around and was passed around, it came around to a woman. And she had the cup, and she thought, and she just couldn't take it. And she passed it around. And so she got it. And the rabbi, John Duncan, that was his nickname, Rabbi. But John Duncan went over and did something amazing. He went over and took the cup and brought it right back to her and said, drink it, woman. It's for sinners. Hmm. And like that story has stuck in my mind about what this is supposed to be for. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ is telling me, <laughs> examining yourself and seeing if you're worthy doesn't really mean oh, I'm worthy right, now. Yeah. Right. It means if you realize, if you're really living and understanding that you're unworthy, you don't bring anything to the table yeah. and you realize your sin's bad and you're trying to honor God and you don't want to sin and you're fighting it. Because if you're living in sin, you really don't think you have much of a problem. But if you're, we all sin. The question is, are we trying to turn back every day to God for new obedience? Are we trusting in him alone? And the Lord's Supper is for sinners. And that's what we're magnifying as our Savior. And Jesus Christ hosts us every time we do it and uh, shows us his wounds and his feet and his hands and his side and uh, gives himself again to us and reminds us that he did it all for us and uh, because he loves us. So thank you guys very much. Um, I really appreciate you guys sitting together with me to talk about the Lord's Supper. We hope this has been beneficial to you and uh, that God will use it to, to bless you and strengthen you um, in your walk with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much. God bless. Bye-bye.